Greetings, Little War TV's fans, and welcome to our podcast, Little Wars FN. I'm Miles, and if you've been following our channel for a while, you know about my love for data analysis. I've spoken a number of times over the years about the Wargaming, Wargame Soldiers and Strategy magazine's great Wargaming survey and offered my humble insights on some of the results. This past year, the 2021 survey saw a record number of responses, and I've been deep in my lair unpacking the data and looking for the trends. Jasper and his team added a new set of questions exploring the role of virtual tabletop gaming during COVID. So let me ask you this, dear listener. In the past year, have you tried virtual gaming? And I don't mean computer games. I mean Roll20, Vassal, Tabletop Simulator, and in any other platform that allows miniature gamers to play their favorite tabletop game in a virtual setting. Have you or your friends explored this brave new world? Chances are, according to the Great Wargaming Survey, the answer is no. Over the last year, despite COVID and lockdowns, fewer than 40% of gamers around the world tried virtual gaming. And of those who did, 70% do not intend to continue regularly at all. The data is an interesting insight into the role virtual gaming has played and could continue to play in our otherwise tactile in-person hobby. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast. Tom and Greg sit down to interview a fellow historical war gamer who's leading the charge into the virtual space. We have lots of questions to ask here. How does one get involved in virtual gaming? How do you find other players? What are the limitations of this kind of game? And most importantly, five years from now, will virtual tabletop war games be more widespread than they are today? Or will it remain a tiny sliver of the hobby? Let me hit you with one more, one last nugget for the 2021 Great Wargaming Survey. Just 15% of respondents said they intend to try virtual wargaming in the next year. Why is that number so low, and what's holding people back? We'll answer all of these questions and plenty more. Hey, Jim. How are you? It's good. Good evening. Jim, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Jim Lazarski. I'm a wargamer from, I, I guess I would identify myself first as a wargamer given the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I, I have been a wargamer now for just over 40 years. Uh, started and born and raised here in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and I am the uh, the, the blessed husband of a much indulgent wife and the happy father of a uh, 13-year-old son. So, Jim, what? Uh, so Wisconsin's kind of a, a lot of legacy uh, gaming there, right? Um, so what got you into war gaming? And was that your, uh, was it straight war gaming or was it role playing or how'd you get started? I was, and I've debated with myself because I've told this story on a couple of occasions, I've debated with myself whether I was 14 or 15, but I had seen an episode of 60 Minutes because that's what my father watched. And they were talking about this game called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so you got to figure for me, that's uh, 1977, 78. Okay. And I saw this show and these college kids were moving around these lead miniatures and they were fighting monsters. And I, of course, I think like every kid in my, every nerd kid in my generation was hip deep in the Lord of the Rings. So I said, oh, I'm doing this. I am doing this. And I begged and pleaded with my mother to take me to the one place she could find, no internet. So she's calling around trying to find where this is. So she takes me to a place on the east side of Milwaukee called Napoleon's. And in the basement of this place, there was a table that was... 32 feet long and six feet deep. It was basically a bunch of eight by fours lined up next to each other. And on this, these guys were pushing around minifig 25 millimeter Napoleonics. They were down in the basement. I had no idea what they were doing. I had no concept of any of it, but I knew it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And I said, okay, this D&D &D thing is great. And I did a lot of D&D &D and I played a lot of D&D, &D, but I was doing this. And I just came up to the guy who ran the store recently just passed away, became a friend. And I said, okay, how do I do this? And he started me on a journey that has continued, like I say, just uh, north of 40 years. So the D and D angle, you know, that's certainly a way a lot of people got into the hobby. I know a couple guys in our club got into the hobby that way as well, but you know, the reason that 
I am kind of familiar with what you do online, Twitter and on YouTube, and I see you post on Facebook all the time is for virtual wargaming that looks like you're running it on tabletop simulator. So that's something I really want to talk about. But before we talk about that, how much like physical miniature gaming do you do at this point? You know, what percentage of your hobby is the virtual side right now? And what percentage is actual physical miniatures on the table? I could take you downstairs and introduce you to my collection of 25 millimeter Napoleonics. I have, I, 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 I do that. I think to establish my bona fides with the crew. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I played miniature war games at Gen Con when they still had those sorts of things. Um, but you know, it, that is by way of almost apologizing for the fact that I'm nearly 100% virtual. Um, despite the appearances that you see before you, my eyesight is failing. Um, it has been failing for a number of years. And actually I got into the virtual side of it because in part of that, uh, I got into it before there was um, a, a pandemic. It's, I've been at this now for three to four years and I, I've painted so many thousands of figs and I don't attribute the site loss to mini painting. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Kids. <laughs> you can do this. Um, but no, it's, I, I, I just started losing the ability and I got the magnifying lens. I got the circle light. I did all those things and I just couldn't do it anymore. And then I hooked up with the great guys at Gajo and some of the other places that'll do it for you. Uh, and they did that. But between that, my eyesight and the scheduling, I, I took it virtual and I've really been there ever since. Is your main platform for virtual gaming tabletop simulator? I mean, that's the one that I see you kind of posting about all the time. And if it is, I'm, I'm really curious, where do all of the modules come from there? Are you designing a lot of these scenarios and modules yourself or are you, are you picking up on things that other people have designed? Um, uh, well, there's, a, there's two ways of answering that. Uh, well, first of all, to your first question, um, I tried Vassal first, parenthetically, uh, and I bounced off it like an absolute rubber ball. Um, I, I wanted a, uh, I, you know, I did the old joke, hey, dear, dear, and Vassal's a wonderful product. I often sound like I'm critical of it. I realize it's an incredible effort of love, and those that do it do it, you know, guys like Joel Toppin and those guys, amazing stuff. I would never, ever say anything bad about an effort like that. But for me personally, my response was, you know, 1992 called, they would like their user interface back. And so on, <laughs> yeah. a, on, a, on, on a Steam sale a bunch of years ago, I spent four bucks and I bought Tabletop Simulator. I tried it and I bounced off it. And I said, well, okay, whatever. It's not the first time I've wasted four bucks on the Steam sale. But I came back to it and I, to the left for the light, I've been asked this, I can't remember why, but I did. And it finally clicked that I could play minis with this thing. And that's my love. I'm a miniature war gamer and I came to peace with that. My collection of board war games runs into the hundreds, but I'm a miniatures war gamer. And I set about, and there were, and so to answer your other question about where the mods come from, I've got to answer that two ways. The first way, I am not a 3D modeler. I was just talking to my wife about this. I, I can't draw a stick man and have it, you believe it. And so the idea that I was going to get into Blender and render all these things was just never going to happen. There was already a pool. I don't, and, and whoever this guy is, uh, he's, he goes by a, a pseudonym on the workshop, but a bunch of years ago, it's years ago now, a guy clearly got a wild hair about the 100 Days campaign. And he designed for Black Powder an almost complete set of basic minis for the 100 Days campaign usable in Tabletop Simulator. And that really started it off. And so I've, but I've taken pieces from all these talented modelers. And now, because I've been doing this for so long, I now have modelers coming to me and saying, hey, what do you want us to do? What would be the next thing? And, and my God, my debt to them is so immense because I couldn't do it. But I will tell you, and it's a point of pride with me, I do have a design aesthetic that I like. Um, I, you know, I like those things. And so when you then talk about the modules, what I do is I look out for a rule set that I like, because one of the things about Tabletop Simulator that's so powerful is you could try out a rule set that you'd never be able to build an army for. I mean, let, let me be crystal clear, and I imagine we talk about this later, but I have built now um, your, your very own um, overlord scenario for Sam Mustafa's blueprint. Now I, you know, this is the sort of thing I can do because it's a virtual space. 
yeah, it was great. You guys did it in six millimeter. It was cool. I ain't doing no six millimeter when I don't have to paint them and I don't have to store it. So I did it in 25 millimeter. And my table is 32 feet long by 12 feet deep. Um, and I could do that because of the incredible work of people like yourselves. And I've stolen a lot of your stuff, Greg. I pay for it. <laughs> I buy the rules. And I take them and I put them down. And, I, and those things, taking those modules from other people, those I build. So I've got a, I got a library of a little over 100 items. Now, if you go to the, the, the Steam workshop under Tabletop Simulator, if you look for Cyrano, that's what I go by. Uh, if you look for that, uh, you'll find my, I post 99% of what I do up there. How long did the Overlord uh, setup take you? That was, it's funny you say that. That was almost a bridge too far because somebody, I'm, I'm looking at one of you two, somebody decided that they were going to draw the bocage onto the map. And as I started noodling at the map and as I started building all the pieces and deciding, because it, it, it's part of the exploration for me, it's part of the creativity. It's actually very soothing for me at most, under most occasions. Because it's like toy shopping, right? You know, I go through, I go through a uh, an OOB and I say, "Oh, I got to get a Hetzer. Where, who's got?" And all these wonderful modelers. Because if if there are three areas, actually, I think it's four. There are four areas on Tabletop Simulator that are insanely well served. Napoleonic, who knew? My favorite. World War II, Ancients, and Fantasy. If you are into those periods, you're done. You are ready to go. So I can go shopping in the World War II gift store. And I, oh, a 25 millimeter Hetzer, I'll take that. So I started going through that. And I also go through the terrain. I'm like, what looks like, what does he want here? This sucker, this, is, this was exceptional. I wanna be clear about that. Between the actual setup, statting everything, doing the paraphernalia, probably about 14 hours. Well, that doesn't sound like that much, Jim. <laughs> and, and here's, and there's the thing. You want to talk about how our perspectives change. I was sitting there thinking somebody's got a first word world problem because somebody has painted six millimeter figures and knows how long this would have taken. I mean, it took us half that time just to play it. So, <laughs> Well, and that's the other place where I admit I'll, I'll never apologize for this. When everybody gets sick and tired of playing the game, I hit save and we get together the next time. So the, the interesting thing there with um, the Napoleonics, I didn't know that. I, that's actually one of my big, was on my list. I saw, I see all the minis that you use and I've seen a few others on people. So those are just in a library out there. You can act, anybody can access them or do you have to uh, pay uh, any of those creators for those assets? Absolutely, 100% free. Um, I, have, I have a couple of friends that have become very, very skilled modelers. Uh, one of them is now in Brittany. Hey, Giorgio. Um, he, uh, he's a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. And he, he act it actually started out because I complained that there wasn't a Marshall Marat figure in there. And I said, it's just wrong that there isn't a Marat. And the next thing I know, I get this wonderful ping on my, I think it was in my Gmail saying, oh, you might want to check out the workshop where I put this thing. And there he had modeled a, not just one, but two different uniforms for Marshall Marat. So he had done that. And over the years, he has now done the complete 1809 campaign. He, uh, both sides. Uh, and he is finishing up 1815, the hundred days. And he has now started on 1806. So, you know, it's all, it's all there for free and for the taking. So Jim, for people who are listening right now, who maybe their head's swimming a little bit, Let's backtrack and give me the 30-second elevator pitch for what Tabletop Simulator is and why a miniature wargamer would even be interested in checking that out. Number one, get yourself a friend who will show it to you. Don't go into it cold. That's one of the biggest mistakes people make because they get confused, like I did, okay? Find yourself a group that's willing to do it. We certainly do over at Armchair Dragoons. Uh, where we always welcome new gamers, come to see it. Once that's out of the way, what it offers you is an opportunity to conveniently, and look, let me be clear, no replacement for face-to-face -face gaming. I've never pretended that. That's something that's, you know, in my personal experience, it's been such a joy and an experience, I would never replace it. But because of COVID, because of schedules, because of distance, because of just lives. Right now, it's weird. I used to have the best, in my, in my mind, 
I was pinned between the two best Napoleonic stores on the planet. Napoleon's up here and the Emperor's headquarters down in Chicago where Empire came from. I could go to either one of them. They're both gone, killed by the internet, you know? And so absent all that, you have an opportunity to come together with people and play real tabletop games using real rules, just like you're familiar with, but mostly also to have the camaraderie of your friends and meet new friends and play these games in an environment that's easy to get into, easy to get out of, and you can play in your pajamas. Not a, not a bad elevator pitch. Um, Tom, I'm, have you ever tried tabletop simulator? I popped in one time and, you know, like Jim said, I, I bounced off of it pretty quickly because I, I wasn't entirely sure what I was doing, but did you ever dabble in that? Yeah, I've, uh, I, I did the same, uh, spent a bit of time early in COVID, um, trying to find my way through it. You know, I, I saw how you can lay out cards and, but I, I just couldn't bring it all together as far as where the assets were. And, and, and I was always sort of, because I came from Vassal, I, you know, I've done a fair amount of Vassal. I knew Vassal had, Vassal has very little uh, logic to it, right? There are no embedded rules. So I, it wasn't clear to me with Tabletop Simulator. Obviously, it has a lot of mechanisms for reproducing the rules of the game. So, no, I, I, I'm hoping this jumpstarts it, honestly, because, you know, when I saw the Overlord the other day on Twitter and I reached out to Jim, I was just like, I, I got to use this as an opportunity to maybe give this another shot, if not to play one of these, uh, but to figure out what to do with it. Because as you know, we do a lot of, we've tried VAS over the years for campaigns, Jim. Uh, and we've done a few board games online, you know, uh, coin type of stuff. And, uh, but, you know, it's a lot of overhead for VASO. I mean, I, I, I do love it. It's a great resource, but uh, there is something missing as far as that feeling of you're around the table, which is one of the interesting things I think you do in your setups. You put it within a uh, natural environment, whether it's out on a road or in the trees. And at first you look at it, it's like, why bother with it? But to me, after you, you look at it and you hang around a bit, it's like it's somehow soothing or it just makes it feel more like you're there, I guess. But uh, is that the intent of that? Was that your innovation or do other people do that too with uh, Tabletop Simulator? No, that, that was absolutely my intent. Uh, it's Like I say, it's part of an aesthetic. Uh, one of I, you talk about things that caused my OCD to fire, such as I might have. I was doing a setup for Barkman's Corner. Uh, there was a scenario for the two fat lardies, what a tanker called Barkman's Corner Overdrive. And I had set up that scenario and it occurred to me, I bet you that place is still there. And I went, I drove myself nuts between various bulletin boards trying to figure out who could tell me where it was. And somebody finally posted the coordinates, found the coordinates, went to Google Maps. And so if you look at my mod for Barkman Corner, Barkman's Corner Overdrive, the, the wraparound photo is Barkman's Corner. And, and so that, you know, like you say, is that the thing that makes the game? Of course it's not. Is that a fun thing to observe? Yes, it is. At least I enjoy it. So let's talk about, um, you know, we'll use that as an example, the Barkman's Corner scenario with the two fat lardies, uh, what a tanker. Um, so you've spent, obviously, time, you've invested time to develop that for Tabletop Simulator. If Tom and I wanted to go play that right now, can we do that? I mean, can we go and find the scenario that you built? Is it free? I mean, how would that work? I mean, the same applies to Overlord. You know, if Tom and I wanted to go try your Rommel scenario for Overlord, how would we go about that? I will share up in advance my rule for that, which is I always have to play test it first to make sure what I screwed up. You know, I want to make sure that I did true to what the, the hardworking folks that made it did. Uh, one of the things that you can get uh, for us for a roster game like Rommel, for example, um, you can put all the stats in a tooltip that pops up when you mouse over the fig. So I have no rosters. When we play Blucher, when we play LaSalle, we have no rosters. I've got to get those right. Once I'm convinced that they're right, and also there's a lot of paraphernalia like QRSs and die rollers. Did I get everything where everybody's comfortable? I then upload it to the workshop. The Steam Workshop for Tabletop Simulator is a little bit of a Wild West. I won't, you know, I would never pretend because it's got everything in there because you can play anything in Tabletop Simulator. 
you know, you've got everything from kids cards game, kids card games, there we go, to um, modern board games to war games. So you got to look. But if you follow me, you will see all my posts. And all you have to do is subscribe because all my stuff is public. You subscribe. And then when you log into your copy of Tabletop Simulator, it'll be there for you to use. How many do you think you've done at this point? I mean, do you have any idea? I've, I've checked out your YouTube channel, which I recommend people do because you have full length playthroughs of a lot of these games, you know, like three, four hours of you going through the scenario and people can watch that. You have a ton of videos on that channel. Um, how many scenarios are in your library at this point? I, I just, I just went to look. It's 104. Wow. I, wow. Uh, I did a thing last year, early COVID starting January of 2021, actually. So I guess that's late COVID. My son and I, um, we played every scenario available for Commands and Colors Napoleonics on the anniversary of the battle. And so that's a lot of those, but we, you know, we've got, and, you know, obviously with minis, just with a giant table. Um, some of those we did play with the group, some of these, but mostly we just, once or twice, we got together pretty late out in the evening and went, all right, we got to knock this one off because it's the, the, you know, it's the anniversary of Al-Kaniz. Uh, let's get together. But no, so yeah, it's uh, 104 of them and uh, they, they run a gamut. I mean, I've got Fletcher Pratt. Um, I've, uh, I've certainly got uh, a number of uh, Blucher scenarios, LaSalle, all kinds of things. And uh, I've, got, I've got one that we're very, very pleased with for Age of Hannibal, may I note, commercial play. Sabas River, I saw. So, yeah, no, and uh, the, the crew was very pleased by, uh -huh. may I note. So how do you decide? I mean, you've got 104 of these. You've spent years doing this. You're still at it now. Uh, what inspires you to pick a scenario? Are these all, did you build all of these because you wanted to play them? Or are you building them for other players who request something? Tell no one it's what I like. No, um, no, it, uh, it, it mostly is what I like, what I'm interested in. Actually, people like the fact that I go and I find new rules. I have an absurdly large rules collection. Um, you know, it runs to hundreds of volumes over the years, everything that I've still got a bunch of stuff that's, you know, folded and stapled in the middle um, from, from those days. But I love rule sets. I love watching how game designers think I love the challenges they pose. And I, parenthetically, I think we're actually in a very exciting era. Uh, I, I'd call it a third wave almost. And I do not flatter with present company to say that I think you're very much a part of that. Uh, Sam and yourself and a number of other designers that I follow who are really, they're in love with the form. They follow the form. They're good students of the form, but they're also trying to reimagine it for a different market, for a different era. I'd put David Enstinus from Essence Little Tot in that, um, and certainly the Lardies, you know, all that stuff. So people like it when I bring a new rule set to the table. They're like, okay, what are we gonna learn? There, we have a running joke about, yeah, no kidding, I didn't know what that rule was. You taught us seven this week. Um, you know, and, and sometimes we don't settle down very, but occasionally uh, I will get a call out. Uh, we did a battle of cowpens for volley and bayonet that uh somebody just called out in the chat on the youtube channel they said hey kyle Pence is coming up can you do a game i said i think so um occasionally we will do an spi game because there are some folks that love the old spi board games and the classical era uh and so we did a fighting sale because somebody wanted one of those and uh that the biggest one of those honestly somebody wanted to do um the Battle of the Falklands from the First World War. And I said, okay, if we're doing that, we're going to do Fletcher Pratt. And so that was our, our first real run to see if I could make Fletcher Pratt work in Tabletop Simulator. And uh, it does, I'm proud to say. Tom and I discovered uh, with other members of the club two years ago, back when COVID was first breaking out. And if you can rewind in your memory that far, it was Everybody then was saying that, you know, virtual gaming, it's, it's the future. It's, it's how this hobby is going to move forward. And maybe later in the conversation, we can talk a little bit more about that. But what, what I recall is that when we as a club were trying to set up some virtual games, we were actually doing like live streaming. We weren't doing it on Tabletop Simulator. We were somebody would set up a miniature game at home and we would have web cameras and, and we would actually do it 
kind of in an old school fashion. But, but what we discovered was that some rule sets were just much, much better suited for virtual play than others. Um, and I can see from looking at your channel, it's interesting. A lot of the games that you play are the ones that we keyed on right away. It's like, ooh, yeah, like Rommel, you know, something like LaSalle, something where a, a base is a unit just seems like it flows a lot better in virtual play. I'd love to get your perspective on that. You know, what what is it that makes a certain rule set well-suited for virtual or not particularly well-suited? Are there mechanics where they just don't translate as well and you know that you can identify it immediately? Yeah, a couple of things. Number one is really simplicity. And I don't mean necessarily, what do I say, dumbing down? You know, I think if the game is well-structured and well-organized, the, the biggest problem you face online is the single route of communication. Because as a courtesy, just like we're talking now, if all three of us talk, it's a ruin, right? It's just not going to work. And it's the same thing here. We can't be talking over each other. And a game that doesn't, you know, that creates that confusion and that friction the biggest problem, and it's so strange, it's such a great topic, because one of the games I would really love to play, and there's a mod for it, is Richard Borg's Memoir 44 D-Day Landings. The problem with it, I own all of D-Day Landings at home. And by the way, this is an important principle with me. If it's a board game, you best own it. And I do. I own all of D-Day Landings. And I've set up half of it because I don't have that big a house. And I can tell you that you can't play D-Day Landings with everybody at a separate table where they can't all go together. That's the assumption of that game, that the, each board is its own game and it's running simultaneously. It's the exact same problem uh, one of my, and one of my favorite uh, Napoleonic systems that isn't named LaSalle or Blucher is Snappy Nappy. And Snappy Nappy is intended to be going on on seven different tables at the same time. Forget about it. I tried. You can't do it. That video doesn't exist. And so, you know, so you can't have that command confusion. You can't have that level of complication. The other one that has been a constant challenge for whatever strange reason has been naval games, plotted movement games. Um, I will always be a fan of wooden ships and iron men. I would love to do it on the tabletop, but, and I've got a wonderful, I've got an incredible group of players. I mean, we've got probably 30 regulars that join in from time to time. They range in age from their mid twenties into their late sixties. I've got X, I've got a bunch of, for whatever reason, I attract X tankers. I love you guys. Um, you know, they, they, they come to play. I've got guys in England and, and, and by the way, this is one of the geniuses of the system. I've got guys who join us from England, Spain, um, Italy, France, and Hawaii, most recently. And so they, they all come together. The one thing that just they struggle with is writing in Tabletop Simulator, is writing something down. And so if you've got, if you've got the command confusion, if you've got the multiple communication, and you've got writing, you've got a rule set that is not going to work. I guess uh, aerial games might fit that as well. Have you done any aerial games? Hundred um, percent. We, I, I have. A, if you talk about demands or requests, uh, something along the lines of a uh, people I think would love to do a Wings of War. Uh, I would probably do it uh, using Bag the Hun hmm. by the Lardies. That would be my guess. There are a number of setups for for Wings of War but that can tend to run towards the fiddle. Um, I would love to, I would love to. The, uh, is it TAC, Tactical Air Command? The miniature rule set? Um, there's, it's a print and play. The, uh, I know that there's been communication. Oh yes, Austin. yes, I know the one you mean. Yeah, yeah trying to get games. permission. There's, there's a desire to get, his game would work brilliantly, but he's been a little dodgy about letting it go up onto Tabletop Simulator because of copyright issues. And those of us who do this, you know, definitely respect that. And uh, so that's why that's not appeared. But you're absolutely right. Air games are a challenge. Mm -hmm. So just to, before, because I want to know this personally, I'm in between machines, but what's the minimum hardware you need to have a successful tabletop experience? Good, not, good, not great. Uh, that's my first answer. Uh, number two, you know, the, the three bigger things actually are, number one, your RAM, 
because uh, Tabletop Simulator is older code and thrashes a little bit. The more RAM, the better. The more RAM you can offload to your video card, the better. The more stuff you can put over there, the better. And, and that's really no top end as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, you can give me more? Good, that's better um, to that extent. The, GP, or the, the CPU isn't as big a deal, I found. Um, it really more is your RAM. Uh, certainly a contemporary OS is where you want to be anyway. And then finally, oh my gosh, your internet connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I love my players like, like, you know, like a lot, but every now and then I catch one of them trying and, and they've done it. They've done it. But when I catch them at it, I yell at them. They try to run the game off their hotspot. <laughs> and I'm like, come on now. Um, you know, I've, it, you know, you've seen the overlord game. What are the odds you think I'm going to get the right throughput to make that happen? So. Mm -hmm. I would yes. love to know. Um, I would love to know for somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with tabletop simulator, maybe just a little bit. Um, if you were to pick one or two of those 104 modules that you've created, um, what's a what's a great one for somebody to start with? And I know this depends a lot on rules, but let's just assume that people are going to understand uh, uh, the rules um, and that they have them available. But what's a What's a great starter scenario for Tabletop Simulator? Um, and it's going to be for just themselves and a buddy, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, maybe two people. Yeah. Then definitely one of my Memoir 44 scenarios. One of the Memoir 44s. Why? Because Memoir is the best set of World War II rules. It's not. But it's got the simplest pieces. You'll learn card manipulation. You'll learn the dice manipulation. You'll learn the figure thing. I've had to explain to multiple players uh, talking about something you mentioned earlier, Tom, about what's implemented and what isn't in Tabletop Simulator. I have people that will highlight their units, and because they're playing a computer game, they will right-click expecting the unit to move. You know, I'm like, no, no, you, it's a physics engine. You got to pick it up, and they're oh, I got to move it myself. Um, and it doesn't get into the more involved stuff like having to measure distances, having to manage turning, all that other stuff, which which sounds simple. But, you know, a lot of the, the, the folks, men and women, that have joined us for these games, um, they, those, you know, I've lived WASD since Doom, right? I know what WASD is. I, I think that way. Many don't. I discovered that the hardest way. Uh, we, were, we were hosting games for the Armchair Dragoons Digital Convention. And these nice people would come and they'd want to play. And I would, I would realize, oh my God, you don't know how to drive a computer using the WASD keys. And so going to a memoir scenario has, it, you've still got the aesthetics, you've still got the table. It looks like a big table full of toys. And yet you can get into the mechanics of it in a way that I think is more comfortable and welcoming. We've mentioned Armchair Dragoons a couple of times here and I've, I have run across the blog many times over the years and i know you are very active on there uh what is armchair dragoons is it a club is it is it a, a blog and what is your involvement in that are you one of the creators of that or are you just a contributor i am a, a proud supporter and contributor uh it goes back several years now it's a gentleman by the name of brent guillory who himself has published a number of board war games um but it is a website that does like to get out a broad range of gaming information to the public. Um, it, it, the, the biggest the reason I got connected with them, uh, they had hosted prior to the recent unpleasantness, a, a gaming HQ at Origins every year. And one of the things that they ran, they have, they have a number of individuals there who actually teach at the War College, but are also involved with the, the creation of the Flashpoint uh, Cold War Gone, gone Hot computer game uh flashpoint simulations they they're there and they run command post exercises which are patterned after the ones they're short much shortened versions of the ones they actually teach at the war college where you can you know you break down into a command team and these this team of five people uh competes against the computer playing actual military roles i had heard about this i wanted to do it i was excited drove down to ohio and they really welcomed me in and uh, I've stayed since. No, it's a it's a great group of guys. A lot of the fellas that are uh, that join us 
for what we do on the channel are from there, but also we brought folks over from the channel into there. So it's a nice, it's, it, it's a great group and it's, it's not centered in minis. There are a lot of minis gamers to be sure, but it's board games, minis games, role-playing games, all that stuff. So um, I love talking about the tabletop simulator and uh, I, I plan on delving into that after this discussion, but back to miniature wargaming just for a little bit. I mean, obviously you've been involved in Napoleonics for some time. So you have a large 25 millimeter, millimeter collection, is that right? Yes. Okay. And uh, how often do you get those out? I mean, assuming COVID doesn't happen, was it a regular occasion? Mostly you do Napoleonics or? No, it's, I, I there's, there's nobody left around. Yeah, I, okay. I hate to say it. Um, it, that, that crew folded. Um, yeah. I bought two of their armies <laughs> when they, when they left, they were, I was, a, I was the kid, you know, mm -hmm. I was absolutely the kid and these were a different time. And like I say, this is the, became the, the early eighties. And I became the way I figured the way I weaseled my way into it. I be, I learned their rules better than they did. And so I became the umpire, mm -hmm. you know, I became that. All right, uh, Jim, what's my modifier on this? That's plus two. Okay. Move my guy over there. Okay. I'll do that. Give me a beer. Sure. And, and, you know, in exchange, they, I got armies, they would, you know, give me armies. They're, they're the ones I didn't want anymore. Uh, that's, that's how I picked up the Dutch Belgians. Um, you know, <laughs> nobody wants the Dutch Belgians. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why not neither. Uh, <laughs> and these were 1815 Dutch Belgians, no less. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I got into it that way. And so, but I, I picked up all those things and I got all those armies and we played for years upon years, but eventually they started dying. You know, it's a weird thing to say, but they, they started to pass away. I mean, they would all be now, well, shoot, simple math, you know, seventies into their eighties mm -hmm. and um, Napoleon's closed, gosh, 15, 20 years ago now. And I occasionally got a game. I actually got hooked up. Uh, with a guy who's still a friend of mine, Glenn Frank Drover. He, uh, well, fairly well-known board game designer. He designed Age of Empires and uh, uh, Victory, of, Victory, and Victory and Glory, the Napoleonic worker placement game you never knew you needed, um, and a bunch of other stuff. He has one of the loveliest sets of 15 and 25 millimeter Napoleonics you'll ever see. It's, it's delightful. But uh, anyways, he and I have played a little bit, but in terms of seeing the kids out, my collection runs to probably 14,000 figs. And like I said, I collected a few and I can't say I painted them, but um, they just don't come out much anymore, which is, which is why tabletop simulator means so much to me, you know, in part. Would you say Napoleonics is your preferred period? You're all over the place, it seems, but uh, is that your, you know, the one you always go back to? That's because others won't play with me if I don't. Um, no, I, I play Napoleonics every day if I could get away with it. I mean, I, I, uh, I picked up, I just picked up Michael Hopper's scenario books for Shaco 2. Uh, he just completed two and he's got us play testing now his uh, 1806 stuff. But, you know, he, I could play Michael Hopper's Shaco. I, I play it using LaSalle now, but okay. I, I could very happily play his stuff until I'm, you know, that, that's what I would do all the time if I could get away with it. I basically have a, a ranking that I use. If I'm playing really big battles, I'll play Blucher. If I'm playing tactical battles, I'll play um, LaSalle. And if I'm playing skirmishes, I'll play Sharp Practice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I, and then, and recently we've actually had a great deal of fun with Chris Pringle's Bloody Big Battles, which actually is more fun than it has any right to be, given it's really a Franco-Prussian war set. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but I, I would happily do that all the time. So, uh, the, the bloody big battles is interesting. I have a copy and I pull it out every now and then I'm a enjoy Franco Prussian and I, I don't know why we haven't played it yet. I don't, I don't know if you've played it, Greg, but I'm always I like, but I also have a copy. <laughs> I'm always like, we've got, why don't we do this? So maybe this would be a good reminder, but, uh, so it produces a good, uh, good battle. Oh, it's great. I mean, it really is. Uh, we it's we're a we're a pretty hardcore Blucher group. And the weird thing is, I mean, if you're you know, let's talk about TTS's limitations. I know I'm a prophet, but I, I, I know the limitations. 
one of TTS's limitations is there isn't a really good Franco-Prussian war set of figs. Don't know why. There's mm -hmm. not a good Crimean set. That's something else that I've pined for. There's a great colonial set that you can get. We uh, did your Islanduana game, except mm -hmm. once mm -hmm. again, six millimeter is just not getting it done. So we did it in 30. Um, so that's a lot of Zulus. I want, tell him that's a lot of Zulus. That's because <laughs> I had to stick those suckers down on bases. <laughs> I'll file your oh, complaint with Steve. Yeah, file this, actually file this particular complaint if you would, because I had to slow down your video to figure out how big those bases were. I was trying to make it proportional, right? You know, I'm, I'm anal that way and I'm trying to get it exactly right. And I'm going, stop, how big, what are you? Oh, and I guessed ultimately it worked out just fine. So yeah, we, we, we do all that, there's great colonial. But Franco-Prussian is not well served. But to answer your question, Bloody Big Battles, um, it is, it's interesting because it's got a whole list of weapon types that you use for firepower. Only one of them is smoothbore musket, which is the only thing that applies in the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> All this other stuff is you just throw it over the side and say, forget about it. Right. There's also a lot of debate about whether cavalry works well enough for the Napoleonic period. But actually, last Saturday's game on the channel was uh, the Battle of Wagram for, um, for uh, Bloody Big Battles. And it, it flowed great. It created... I'll tell you something, the French are in a heck of a bind because they got stuck at Gross Enzersdorf and they're not anywhere close to, Ro to Rosbach in the center of the field. But uh, the other thing it does, and I give this immense credit, we're doing this Project Catrabra at the channel where we're playing Catrabra using 12 different rule sets, just trying to figure out which one of them gets it, what, what we like best, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe even not like best, but what's good, what's bad. With Bloody Big Battles, you get both Lanyi and Catrabra. And you get, because of the scale, you get to move the troops back and forth. Movement is simple. Combat is simple. A lot of abstraction, but um, it's a good time. And Chris, Chris Pringle, the author, has been incredibly helpful and is very supportive. And I will finally say this about Bloody Big Battles. There are going to your own, I, I think about your rating system a lot when I, review, when I think about rules myself. And their support, their unofficial support for Napoleonic Battles is off the charts. You know, there's a lot of rule sets that are Napoleonic specific that aren't that well supported. So it's pretty easy to recommend. I'm really excited for what ends up being the best simulation for Quattro Bra. It's funny you mentioned that because we have played that specific battle. I mean, I got to be 10 times in the club and never have gotten what I would consider to be a particularly historical result. The French win a crushing or decisive victory every time. And we've tried Age of Eagles. I'm convinced the scenario in Age of Eagles is completely broken, even though I do like that rule set. Uh, we tried Blucher. Um, my gosh, we, we've tried a number of systems and just can't seem to give the British a good chance. So, um, <laughs> well, I will tell look you forward to what you come up with. Uh, I'll just go to my last article and say that in our battles, the British are, are uh, well, are well, are well ahead. The allies are well ahead in the running. Um, I, I wonder sometimes if we just don't have sufficiently aggressive French. Maybe I have to import some of your crazy people. Yes, you you, you got to get a couple guys in our club. Nobody's <laughs> holding anything back, I assure you. <laughs> so um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons that you moved into virtual gaming in such a big way is because a lack of players in person in your area some of it even to, you know, just sort of the graying of the hobby, which we all love to bemoan. Uh, bigger picture, you know, what, what kind of role do you see virtual gaming playing in this hobby moving forward? You know, like I said, it, at the start of COVID, there seemed to be so much chatter about it and so much talk that, oh, this is, this is the way of the future. You know, HMGS East was saying they were going to do a, at least one or two virtual conventions every year, and that's fizzled out in about six months. Uh, so what kind of role do you think this is going to play? I mean, I, I know it's playing a big role for you, but if you can remove yourself from that picture a little bit and look at the hobby, I mean, is this, is this a way that we actually can combat the graying of the hobby? Oh, see, I had a whole different answer. And then you threw that last piece in there. Um, ah. <laughs> cleverly done, sir. No, um, let me, let me go back only very briefly to say I was in that HMGS, uh, cyber convention 
and I encountered exactly what I expected to find and why it's, it's these conventions are very, very hard. Yes, it's easy to set it up. Yes, it's easy to, you know, to run the game. I'm, I'm good at it. I've done it a lot. And it's not, it's not like I'm some genius. It's just not that hard. Communication is simple, just like the tools we're using tonight. However, it's so strange because I've done games at Historicon and I've played games in Historicon many, many years. I've, I was in the host when it was stinky and weird. Um, you know, the, uh, it was, you could stand up at your table and kind of, you know, point, come here, come here, right here, Napoleon game, right here, here we go. You know, and you would set up a game. And then I, I once got myself deathly sick. I played Shaco 2 straight for about 22 hours, different games, because I would bring people to a game and then somebody would say, hey, you want to play Shaco? We're playing it over here. And I went to play Shaco over there. And then I played it again and again and again and forgot to eat. You can't do that probably for the best in a virtual environment because you've got to coordinate people. So the convention setting is an immense challenge in a virtual environment, immense especially when you're trying to draw people in and everybody says, oh, it's the old people. No, it ain't. It's the young people too that can't figure out how to show up on time, you know, you know, do the game thing. It's much easier in a physical real space. So that challenge isn't there. Gathering a group, keeping a group, inviting people to a group. I, my group that I'm privileged to associate with, I guess the average age is probably 40, which given that we have older folks, it means we're balancing them with some younger folks. We've got younger players. It's a door open to them if they're willing to go through it. I, however, have no illusions. I think it's a great play test space. I think that's one thing that all game companies are discovering. You can kind of, I've had, now I've got a bunch of people that dump their rule sets down to me and go, hey, could you try them and see what you think? And we've actually set up, I've started a small stream and we'll probably continue to call the playtest pen where we just, where we tell people tonight, we're just going to hang out and try these rules and see, tell them what we think and send them notes. Um, and I think people want to try it. There's still resistance. Why? Three reasons. One, the physical piece of the hobby. I miss it and it's to be cherished. There's some real satisfaction in, I painted this. I did this. I made this. That's really great. Number two, the coordination piece. I think that is consequential. Uh, just getting people together sometimes is, is a right hassle. And number three, I don't know as people have clicked on that this is something that they want to do. I see people resisting it almost conceptually. And this may go back to the physical piece of it. Or, you know, you know, for example, David Enstinus from, uh, from the Wargaming Company, they do it Essence Resultat. He has embraced this in a huge way. You know, he's, we, I actually did the video on his website showing how to play Essence Resultat, and we, and we use Tabletop Simulator. Others see it as a threat. I know they do. I've, they've told me so. And... I don't know where that goes. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of people that do it. My, my games have hundreds of subscribers, people that have used them. I get very nice notes, but I, I, will, I will say in answer to a, a really good question, just this. I've also received a lot of notes from people saying, because of my life situation, I would never ever be able to play these games with other people. You've given me the opportunity to do that. And for that, I thank you. And that's, that's really cool. That is really cool. I mean, I can absolutely see this being a lifeline for gamers who don't feel that they live around other gamers, many of whom email us, you know, at Little Wars TV and say, hey, you know, do you know of a club in, in Wyoming? Well, no, I don't. I mean, I live in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. I have no idea if there's a club in Wyoming, but sadly, probably not. <laughs> there's probably not a club near you in Wyoming. So this is an avenue for them. And, you know, Tom and I, we're so spoiled. You know, we've, we have a great club, a local club where 
I don't need to use Tabletop Simulator. Every Monday, I can go play with five guys in person, like an actual physical table. Yeah. And the struggle that I have with it, and I'd love to get your take on this, is like, look, I, it's true. I tried Tabletop Simulator, and it didn't click with me right away. But I, I like to play computer games. You know, I mean, I'm playing a lot of Panzer Core 2 right now. And I look at that and I say, why would I get online and log into Steam to play the Rommel scenario that you created for Overlord when I can log into Steam and play Panzer Core 2 with amazing, you know, cutting edge graphics, a game that is designed to be played in this fashion versus the kind of workaround that you're using for Tabletop Simulator? That seems to be, to me, like real competition <laughs> for what you're doing right now. How do people get over that mental hurdle? Oh, that's a good one. That's, that's a, and I, I come at that a whole nother way. I was playing Advanced Squad Leader with my son. And at some point, and this is an, ama it's an amazing game. It's, it's, got a, it's got a legion of fans. They're, they're a crabby bunch of old people, but they, it's a legion. And I remember thinking, I forget what part of the rules I was diving into. And I went, why aren't we letting the computer do this? Why, why, why am I looking this up and rolling this down? What the, what, what is, because, you know, John Tiller Software, or now Wargame Design Studios, they've got a really good squad level game. I could go play that. Or like you say, I could play a game that's got some really great graphics. Um, I think it's, that's a threshold question for each individual gamer. Um, I will die being a miniatures gamer, first and foremost. I, because I knew I couldn't get to my miniatures as much as I wanted to, even before my eyesight failed, my life got in the way. You know, I, wife, family, job, the whole thing. And I then started to look for substitutes. And I saw Napoleon Total War. And it made me so angry. The first time I stretched a battalion, I figure those are battalions, call them regiments if you like, but that's even stupider. And I stretched one from La High Sant to Hougamal. I went, I'm done here. And so I was out on that. Then I played, and I was a play tester for, um, oh, why is, uh, Scourge of War. And I went, this is okay. This is fine, but it's not my thing. This is not me. I am a miniatures gamer. So that's where I came. On the other hand, for something that I don't have that depth of passion for, you know, for something like a World War II thing, I love World War II, but, you know, I will far more readily go that way. But let me return to your original query. How do you take the person that's enamored of that and move them to this? I think the thing that make that my son plays both, plays a lot of both. He plays Apex Legends and he's a regular gamer on our channel. Not just because I make him, he actually asks. I think young people, and I've watched him do this, they appreciate the thought that is involved. And not all, not all, but many appreciate the thought that goes into a tabletop miniature game that is so often abstracted out in a computer game experience. Deliberately, deliberately he really does enjoy grokking a system. The minute Shaco 2 clicked with him, well, actually, and you'll watch him play. If you watch him learn a system, you'll see it. It clicks, and he starts playing more quickly. That learning process, that piece is very exciting to a young mind, I think. Aesthetically, are we ever going to keep up? Oh, no, no, princess, no. But I don't think we have to. The one thing we can do, and this goes back to Overlord, is display. Even in a virtual space, a 36 by 12 table looks pretty darn cool. It did look pretty damn cool. Tom <laughs> showed me that tweet and yeah. I was like, oh man, that looks better than the table I actually freaking built. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, it, you know, and and as, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, somebody decided to draw the bocage and I felt I had to match it. Um, You're welcome. You're welcome. But, uh, yeah, that's great. The... <laughs> My, well, someday the therapist will send you a bill. The, uh, but, but no, it's, it, it is, that display I think still draws. People like that. Whether it be a well-painted 40K model, yes, I do not hate on 40K. I love 40K. I don't play it, 
but I love its aesthetic. I love what it does. Um, and do people love to look at a big table jammed full of minis? They do. And that display, that craft still appeals even to young people. I thought an interesting thing, Jim, I looked, took a look at your blog. Uh, and there were a couple of things on there. One, it's called Kriegspieler, right? And it looks like you ran some Kriegspiel stuff in the past at HCon, which I'm, I'm sorry I missed that. But the most recent article talked about proxy, which is, you know, essentially, are you comfortable using approximate miniatures for, you know, a given scenario? So you don't have the Dutch Belgians, but you've got something that looks close enough at, you know, six feet. So I thought that was an interesting discussion because, you know, it transitions to the tabletop, which is you don't have an infinite choice of miniatures to use there or models. So you use what you can, but I, I thought that was really interesting discussion because I'm you're clearly not a a button counter then over the years with even with your Napoleonics right I mean you're you're willing to you're more likely to get want to get a table a game on the table than to fret about the fact that you don't have the exact miniatures for the experience is that correct? It's a prayer of serenity, Lord. Let me accept the things I cannot change. Right. You know, it, right. It, it 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 really is. Um, especially in the tabletop simulator environment, because it's like, look, look handsome. You want it, design it yourself. Well, I can't. Well, then I guess you're stuck. Um, these days I'm a little more privileged. I can kind of beg and whine my friends to build me things um, that can happen, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I would uh, it, look, I would happily play with bases on a map. That's what mm -hmm. Kriegspiel is, right? That's that's my first love. That's that's who's sitting behind me. That's that's from Ricefitz. And, you know, what is what is that? It's a highly detailed map with accurate frontages, you know, showing you a war game. Uh, Dr. Patty Griffiths famously said that our greatest problem was we began fetishizing miniature soldiers. You know, and so I think that we can go too far that way. I will take second to no one in my love of them. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, if it's, if that is seriously, if, what was the one I was confronting? Oh, Nassurs. Somebody was pointing out I had the wrong Nassurs. And I said, oh, really? By the time I've killed your Nassurs, you won't care. Uh, as we wrap up our discussion here, I would love to know um, what's really popular right now with you and your guys. You know, what, uh, what are one or two of the games that, that you guys are just really into? Rommel. Um, I, I brought Rommel in. I, it was funny because I... Why the heck did I decide to do Overlord? I, I seriously... I, I don't... Seriously, I don't know why I got that wild hair. Oh, I know what it was. Um, I like Chain of Command. I really do. I think it's a fabulous rule set. We have played the entire um, Tyneside's campaign, Kursk 1 and 2, uh, we're, we're playing through Martlet, but I had a couple guys who were my World War II characters who were like, you know, it's not working for me. And not every rule set is for everybody. You know, just, just the way it is. And they said, could we try something different? And they didn't like memoir. They felt it was too simple. And so I said, well, let's, let's try the introductory scenario that Sam first published for Rommel. And so I put it, slapped it together. That was quick. I mean, that was, you talk about the embarrassment of riches that is TTS. That wasn't an hour you know, to, to put together a six by four scale table, actually, because I play 25 millimeter, it's actually uh, 12 by eight, but it's, you know, to set up the squares and play, everybody fell in love. They were, they were just, Oh my, this is it. I want to learn this. I said, okay. And then I said, what can I do? That's got multiplayer. And then I remembered and I went and I, you know, and I went, Oh boy. <laughs> and so I did this, but I said, you all are going to have to learn. I'm not going to teach this to you over this giant table. So you're going to each have to take a night to sit down with one of our experienced players and learn how. And so, in fact, I've got games tomorrow and Thursday just to teach people Rommel so they can learn the, because as you know, and I think as you commented in your review, they're incredibly simple rules. I mean, there, there's, and as, as has everybody observed, it's a board game. Yeah, duh. I mean, it's so what? It's a love, it can be a love, it, that's a really annoying criticism to me. The, um, I think that to me, that's like, that's a water is wet comment. Um, but anyway, everybody loved it. Everyone wanted to play it. And so we decided to build to this thing. So we got that booked. 
The other one that has just caught fire is LaSalle 2. Um, it would not in any way surprise me if that was the winner uh, in Project Catrabra. Um, ease of use, smoothness, pure. It's, I've described it as a finely polished stone. You know, it, it boils down a lot of our nonsense, a lot of our, I know some people fuss about it, but, you know, I, I know one thing that drives a lot of people crazy is there's no generals on the field or almost none. Um, but it, uh, it does some amazing things and people really, really like it. Um, it's gotten, but I, I have learned that I'm a horrific gasser as to what people watching the channel will like. You know, I, I consider, you know, we're, we're a niche. I know I'm a niche. It's, it's a niche. And especially as you correctly observed, you know, you guys, when you do a video, you edit it down to 45 minutes. That's a long video. I'm giving you a five-hour playthrough. You know, we, we played Leipzig for Blucher. We used the old Meldrum war game scenario. That was 13 four-hour episodes. Okay. So it was a minute. Um the you know so we, we go through all these these long iterative processes i would say that uh yeah those would be those would be the one but i've been such a horrible guesser as to what people really really like and uh the one that just took off and just people really got into well that there there are two there are two and again it's not present company my number one video to this day is ultra freedom shiloh God, what a brilliant rule set that was. I know. I remember who wrote, who wrote that. that. I'm telling you yeah. what. I got, a question, I got questions for that guy, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good but, we can't remember his name. <laughs> fortuitously enough, that is my number one. I mean, you know, that just people wanted to see it. And it, uh, look, I get it. American Civil War, World War II. It's an obvious, it's an obvious clientele. No apologies. Um, but the other one, the other one is uh, Commands and Colors Ancients. People just now we play those on big boards, big minis, but it's still commands and colors. I mean, it's just big, pretty blocks. So those have been those have been consistently popular. Yeah, that's what I said. Have you seen uh, you, you mentioned colonial? I assume you're just British colonial. Have you seen any American Revolution uh, models out there? Oh, yes. Make... There's an uh, actually that that market. Uh, I got to I will talk him into because, again, that that. We, we, somebody has just put out a very popular set, or I hope will be a very popular set of AWI rules that just made the market that I downloaded from their website. And um, it happened, I've got a good friend who's a model maker who is building a TTS module for that rule set. Excellent. He's actually, it's, it's one of the nice things that I'm very pleased about is I've inspired others to do it too, um, to try to build. So he's, he's building for that. Uh, I've got, like I say, I've got a battle of cow pens I've actually, we've never played it. I've actually got a cow pens for sharp practice, which is an eight player sharp practice game. I, I don't know as it'll ever be played, but I was, did it as a thought experiment. Um, but we did a cow pens for volley and bayonet that that was pretty well done. The figures are early, you know, they're early in the evolution of TTS. The new ones are much, much better. They're much better detailed. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he does, but yeah, there's absolutely Amrev stuff out there. Do you see the, uh, the figures or the models within TTS evolving to have motion to them at all? I mean, is that, I mean, not that it's needed in any way, but I'm just wondering if, if the technology exists or the toolkit exists to do that. Yeah, there's a set of uh, World War II guys that are, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell my favorite story. I've got, I've never, we've never played this one either, but I've got a Battle of Five Armies set done and the Bayorn figure is animated. He can, he can swipe, he can fall over dead, he can roar, um, he can do all that. There's a, there is, however, a complete set of World War II infantry, French, German, British, that uh, has various poses. Uh, they can kneel, they can stand all the time. The, the thing is, as uh, I, people think that has a je ne sais quoi, my, my attitude on it is by the time you've been playing this game for four hours, those guys can really stop doing that pew pew move that can, that can probably stop. Um, but yes, there are animated figures. They do exist there. The real question is, and this, this is the cut and it goes back to, to Greg's earlier question. You know, when I do highlight those figures, do I want to move them myself? 
or do I want to right click and have them move over there for me? I think that may, who, I may have just discovered something of myself. That may be the Rorschach test. If you want to move them, if you want to move them yourself, you're a minis gamer. Mm -hmm. If you want the computer to do it for you, you're a computer gamer and I wish you well. Well, I'm somewhere in between. I tried to tra train my son to move figures for me, but. Uh, that's, that's never a bad play, I'm telling you. <laughs> but it didn't take, did it, Tom? It didn't take. <laughs> I'm stuck moving. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So what is the support like for TTS, the company that makes that? Are they investing in it? Is it, a, you know, is it here to stay? I think it is. It's, it uh, has been an incredibly successful platform. Um, I think they have demonstrated the market and the viability of the model such that there will be, if not a tabletop simulator to continued iterations of the platform. Um, much like you've seen with Vassal. I mean, Vassal today is not what it was 10 years ago. Um, and I think you're going to see that continue to, to go forward. So, you know, it's uh, Dr. James Sterrett who teaches at the War College and his, his crew is concerned about the stability and the survivability of the platform from a, a federal government perspective. And that's why they've not embraced it. But I've said, look, from a, you know, for something I don't own, it's about as stable as I think you're going to find. So Jim, um, we really appreciate you coming on to, to talk to us about virtual gaming. As you can tell, Tom and I are, are not experts in this field, although we are definitely interested uh, for sure. And it's hard not to be interested seeing your videos and images. You know, I know you're really active on Twitter of, of some of the games uh, that you're putting together. Um, if people who are listening here want to find out more about your modules and follow what it is that you and your club are doing, uh, where, where are the best places for them to go to find you? Well, number one is actually armchairdragoons.com. Armchairdragoons.com, right in the forums. Uh, that We have a, it's called Saturday Night Fights. That's, that's what we do each Saturday. Um, we have Saturday Night Fights, Wednesday Night Warfare, and the Thursday Night Throwdown. Um, you know, come, come on by, post your name. You got to sign up in the forum, but it don't cost nothing. Uh, you know, you go into the forum, you post your name, introduce yourself and say you'd like to get in a game. And it really helps if you tell us what you like to play. Um, because one of the things I do like to do is bring out games or build system, build mods uh, for people that would like to play. And uh, I'm on Twitter at The Gaskin, uh, just like Cyrano, uh, The Gaskin over on Twitter. So please feel free to, to shoot me an email or whatever you'd like to do. And we'll make sure we get you set in the right direction. No, it's a it's a neat thing to try. You know, I don't I, I won't pretend it's for everybody because it isn't. Um, I've we've had people come and go, but we've also had more than that stay. And uh, I also if I could put a banner over this at no level, am I trying to replace tabletop gaming? That's absurd. I, I, I love tabletop gaming. I want to go back to Historicon. I'm going back. Frankly, had everything not been a little weird at my day job this year, I'd have been at Historicon. Um, I want to bring my son and just spend a weekend like that. Um, it's not intended to do that. It's an old, it's a supplement. Uh, it's a it's a compliment, and I hope people take it that way and give it a shot. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jim. This is uh, quite enjoyable. Great pleasure. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you, Jim. Have a great evening. See you. See you later.